right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. gentlemen welcome back to the no laying up podcast Sala here got a fun interview with you today with joel damon he's out in hawaii talk a little bit about playing at kapalua this past week how you transition over to wailai and the sony open what it's like to play no cut events now he's a winner on the pga tour joel is his, i think it's his third time coming on the podcast he's always a delight to talk to this interview is brought to you by cash app i cannot recommend this app enough any other app you would be using to send money to friends collect money from friends out the window and not only that once you got the money in your account you can do all kinds of fun things you can buy bitcoin with it you can trade individual stocks it's super intuitive easy to download easy to get money on they even give you your own customizable fancy little debit card you come up with a cash tag super easy i can't describe how intuitive this app is we've had a lot of fun with it we're going to be settling all bets on the golf course this year in bitcoin through cash app it's weird to describe a, a money-related app as fun, but I honestly have fun just looking at and scrolling around on Cash App. So trust us on this one. Use code no laying up gives new users fifteen dollars. Cash App will also set aside ten dollars to sign uh, for each sign up to a five hundred one c three verified charity of our choice. So the more people using the code, the more support they're giving to the charity, and also you're getting fifteen dollars. And every friend you invite to Cash App, you get signed up, you get fifteen dollars for that as well. So again, find Cash App in the store. Use code no laying up at sign up. Without any further delay, here's Joel Damon. We're going to start with a little exercise. I want you to pick a moment in time. It can be McKenzie Tour. It can be whenever. Pick a moment in time when professional golf felt its hardest, when you were at a low, maybe you uh, you know wondering if you could make it. That's part one of this question, but first I need you to, to pick that moment. What would the moment be? Man, I was really low last year. Uh, even my rookie year when I missed a bunch of cuts, I was still excited to be a rookie i was wide-eyed and bushy-tailed i was playing on the pj tour it was all good probably i think i missed seven of eight cuts to start the calendar year last year that was low i didn't know what was going on i couldn't figure it out i was practicing pretty hard i was still playing terrible golf miss and it wasn't like i was missing them by a couple either so i'd never really been on a run that bad before so that was probably it for me um and I won the following week, so I, I don't know say, what happened. <laughs> well, I was going for something. I was going for something different with that because I was going to ask, have you go back in time to whatever that moment would be, and tell if somebody came up to you and said, in a few years, you're going to play in a tournament in one of the most beautiful places in the world. You're going to beat nine guys total, and you're going to get a hundred and ten thousand dollars, hundred and ten thousand five hundred dollars. How would that make you feel? <laughs> really is mind boggling. Absolutely. Uh, I was a little jaded maybe my first year or two on tour, like watching the good players get to play in all these no-cut events and make a bunch of money and FedEx set points and all that stuff. I'm like, how am I supposed to compete with this? This isn't fair. Like, I got to play in these half-point events. I got to, you know, I don't have that opportunity. Uh, and now I'm pretty happy with uh, with the way things are. I, <laughs> I shot 15 under. It's not like I played I that bad. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, that's, that's why, how do you, did you play well to shoot 15 under? How do you reconcile... That being bottom half of the field when you shot 15 under par, I, I don't know, you know, when the conditions get easy like that, I know your expectations probably change. But, yeah, it's hard to, like, point at anyone and be like, yeah, you didn't play very good last week. Yeah, it, I I just didn't get the ball in the hole. Like, I chipped and putted pretty poorly all week. I mean, if on Sunday alone, I think I had 
seven chips in three holes. So I three chipped on six, I two chipped on nine, and I two chipped on 15. So like something like that, like you're just getting the ball in the hole. But I played fine. Like it's easy off the tee. I think that's a big deal. So open off the tee, no one gets in trouble off the tee. There's no separation there. You can hit it far, but everyone's going to hit it on the green because they're so big. So then it just comes down to, you know, how close did you hit it? And, you know, did you make a bogey or two? But I didn't play that bad. I'm kind of excited to play Sony to see actually how my game really is on a, I mean, it's still, you have to make a bunch of birdies here, but it's at least kind of narrow and like a real golf course. You got, you know, served a little bit of humble pie on your way to the course on one of the days. I need you to tell us that story. Gino, <laughs> Gino outed that on Twitter. Gino's an amazing Twitter follow, by the way, but tell us yes. that story. Gino's actually here next to me. I uh, just ate a breakfast burrito and he's comfortably uh, doing nothing. Yeah, it was Tuesday. We were going to the golf course uh, for nine hole practice round. Almost everyone stays at the Ritz, which is just at the bottom of the hill, shuttle up to the top. And we hopped in a, a shuttle. They take volunteers, they take players, they take fans, they kind of take everyone. And we hopped in and he's like, is this your first time here? I said, yeah. Uh, I had Gino's with me and my father-in-law was with me. And uh, so we just kind of and all of a sudden, he kind of went into his spiel. I'm sure he said a hundred times that week to everyone else of how to watch the pros. You know, you got to get to 18 early uh, to get a good seat. You know, it's uh, you know, he said kind of don't hike the front nine; it's too long. Go go to the back nine and hang out. And I was in the middle seat, and Gino was behind me, and I didn't realize he had started filming until we got out of the van. Um, he's like, I was like, were you filming that? And he's like, yeah, I I caught some pretty funny moments there. And Gino being Gino, he tweeted it out there like pretty innocently, uh, you know, just to show like, I mean, I'm a no one really out there and I wasn't wearing my bucket hat, which is maybe the only reason anyone would notice me anyway. So uh, it was it was just quite funny. It happens more often than people would ever think, probably. And uh, Gino tweeted it and it caught a little bit of steam. And then I don't know if you saw in the comments, the shuttle driver actually commented back that. No, night. I didn't. Oh, not good. Uh, the oh. guy. He goes, I've, I'm out here volunteering 14 hours a day. I don't appreciate you making fun of me. At least I don't clean a, another guy's balls for a living. So he was pretty pissed off. And then Gino kind of, you know, he apologized. He said, you know, he wasn't trying to, you know, attack him or anything. It was just kind of a funny moment. And uh, we're actually on Sunday. We're walking from 14 green to 15 T and the shuttle driver pulls Gino aside. He's <laughs> like, hey, man, just want to kind of squash everything like, you know. I'm sorry for what I said. And she was like, yeah, like, thanks for volunteering. Like, it wasn't anything malicious. So it kind of carried throughout the week. It was, it was oh, really fun. I didn't know that part. I, I, I was yeah. uh, The next thing I was going to ask was how often yeah, does that happen to you? Like little instances where people don't recognize you or, or are you pretty anonymous out there just in, in normal everyday life and PGA Tour? Yeah, I mean, everyday life, like it's getting a little more. Uh, if you have a good week, maybe you just kind of were on TV. Like you'll get noticed a couple times for a couple days, but that's about it. You know, I don't have to hide or anything. Every now and then I get a high five or, a you know, something like that or an airport. But uh, very rarely for me. And at a golf term, obviously, if I'm wearing a bucket hat, it's a lot easier for people to do it. But other than that, I'm not noticed very often. But, uh, it, I mean, there's been a couple times where a volunteer told me, you know, to stay outside the ropes or something like that. They don't think I'm a player that week. But it's getting less and less when you wear the wear the bucket hat. So back to Kapalua, you know, there's a lot of lot of discussion going on, on Twitter. People were people were really fired up about how low the scores were and you know, golf getting out of control and all this stuff. And it was I was kind of trying to serve a, up a little bit to say, like, look, there's not a winless and soft golf course out there that tour pros are not gonna just pick apart, especially like Correct. a resort course that is 
just not that challenging to you guys? You know, what 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 is I guess that's a better question. What is challenging to you guys? What makes a hard golf course and why does Kapalua not play like a hard golf course when there's no win? Yeah, I mean, Kapalua, number one, is a resort golf course. It is built for people pay four or five hundred bucks to play there. Beautiful views. It's just is what it is. It's wide open off the tee. It's big greens. Obviously, every week everyone's complaining about how low the scores are. But I mean, the guys are just that good at, at the top that week. I mean, it's just a fact. So I also think it's OK to have a shootout of like, I mean, it's that's like record breaking stuff. People should, if it happens like the 33 guys are 30 plus under par, they should appreciate that. They should be like, wow, this is historic. I mean, Ernie Els had held it since 2003. So it's not like it's happening all the time. You know, and the courses are like that. It's soft, wind and blow. So I think people should just appreciate what happened last week and appreciate the theater of Matt Jones on the weekend. Rom and Cam Smith on Saturday was incredible. Both making putts. I mean, what, did Cam shoot eight or nine under again on Sunday? Like, that's just ridiculous. Holding off number one in the world, I think. it's It should be appreciated more than talked down about. Yeah, and it's also, you know, it, I actually, every now and then will enjoy a look into like, hey, when there's no defenses, like, you guys don't, you can't fathom how good these guys are. Like, you just, you really can't. Like, you see it a little bit, the PNC championship. I know it's a scramble, and I know, you know, whatever. But, like, the the, the tour pros are carrying those teams, but they play very simple 400 yards straight away par fours and it's like dude get six of nine birdies or you're losing pace like that is the level that's the level out there i i gotta play saturday and sunday so i play with my coach robert shell and then my father-in-law uh joe who's he's like a 12 handicap at his home course in in phoenix um you know what does that mean he shoots about 90 i guess you know his good scores are low 80s but he's basically a bogey golfer he shot so it was it was pretty wet, so we played the back tees. It was long, but my coach, who played on the PJ Tour in early 2000s, doesn't play much anymore, but he shot 75, like 80, Saturday, Sunday, and he's a legit scratch golfer, but it's so long. We were hitting four irons and hybrids into everything when it firmed up on the weekend. You know, Now we're hitting eight irons, but my bogey golfer, father-in-law, shot 92-100 at this golf course. That is, it's 7,600 yards. It was playing long, and it's just, I don't care... Like, it's just the difference in, I think, a normal scratch golfer will go out there and still shoot his normal scratch score. It's not easy to all of a sudden shoot five or six under every day out there. When it happens like that, people should just appreciate it for the week and then hope the wind blows here at Sony and that it gets baked out and the scores aren't as low. Did you guys make a vacation out of going out there for uh, and kind of, you know, did you did it feel like you were enjoying the perks of being a, a PGA Tour winner that week? Yeah, for sure. We we flew out the previous Wednesday, so the 29th of December. We flew out uh, with my mother-in-law and father-in-law, and then my coach and his girlfriend came out uh, the following day. So we did hikes, we did well watching, dinner cruise, we did fishing, drinks by the pool, jumped in the waves. Kind of, we did it all. Uh, and then when when Tuesday rolled around, it kind of got a little more into golf stuff. Uh, you know, it was like a normal golf week, but we definitely took advantage of it. It's not a cheap week uh, staying at the Ritz. Uh, I mean, you go down for lunch and it's, you know, for two people and a beer, it's $100. So luckily, obviously, it's no cut event and it's a nice purse. But we looked at the bill and we left. And I was like, oh, my, uh, that is that's a good week. So we enjoyed it all. We had a blast. I think it's just kind of one of those things, especially the first time there. We enjoyed the whole thing. And there's not too much of the golf course. I think that I would I wouldn't have to come out as early. You just... The fairways and the second shots are all basically the same. If you can just putt on the green and greens and um, either hit it good or if you don't hit it great that week, then you're not winning anyways. Hmm. Yeah, last place got 100K in there. So I, I don't 
don't feel that bad if the Ritz with that view if the Ritz lunch is expensive. Like I hear you, but I just I just don't feel it's not a typical week for me. Let's put it that way. (laughs) So is it I know you guys uh, an underrated, I think, part of your guys job is your ability to pick up from and go from place to place, different grass, different winds, different climate, different everything the next week and not just play good golf, like go beat the best players in the world. And, you know, it's so different, right? I, I just speaking personally, like if I, there's courses in my own climate that I'm like, this one fits my eye great. And the next one just doesn't. And you got to go compete on all of those. So is it easy to go from something like Kapalua as up and down as it gets to Wailai about as flat as it gets? Like, is it a flip of the switch? Is it a couple, you know, nine holes out on the golf course and you're pretty acclimatized? Yeah, I think as far as this is, because they're both sea level, and so you kind of have how far your ball's going to go. And with TrackMan and Quad and all the other stuff you have, like you hit like 10 balls, you pretty much have your numbers dialed in um, as far as that's concerned. So that's not too bad. The grasses are, you know, about the same. Uh, you know, green speeds, we they're always about the same every week. So it's not too bad for us. We have a lot of things going in our favor to do that. I think, and I haven't looked into the data per se, but I'm sure someone has it out there that, um, guys who grew up on the West Coast or played a lot on the West Coast, and then all of a sudden you go to Florida. And, like, what's the difference in, you know, we play on bent or, you know, overseeded rye, like the perfect grass, to kind of scraggly Bermuda sometimes in Florida. I'd be curious what the difference is because it takes me a while to figure out how to chip and, you know, just a different contact point of your irons and things like that. I think that's the biggest difference. So I know you hear a lot of guys not liking the West coast when they grew up on the East coast and vice versa. Um, so it's, it's, I think that's much more difficult. I think it's kind of where you grew up and what you're used to. Um, but everything's so good out here. Our green speeds are about the same. Everything's manicured nicely. It's not too bad. And then when you have, you know, all the technology we have now, you hit a couple of balls and you have your distance figured out and you're good to go. Yeah. I think a, a shorter way of saying what I was trying to say was like, you, you don't really have a choice of like, if you're not that comfortable with a certain grass type or, you know, a temperature or any kind of weird things about a golf course, you don't have a choice. It's like, all right, well, you can't just like wait for everything to be perfect for you. You got to like get it figured out. <laughs> That's basically it. And I think that believe it or not, I've actually had good events on Bermuda as you know, as I've had on the West coast. So I think you just play good golf wherever you can. And it kind of all, it, you know, if you play a long enough career, it's all going to probably figure itself out. So after your win in, uh, in the Dominican, you told the boys at Mesa country club, open up the tab. I'll be home next week. How bad was it? I couldn't believe how nice it was. Actually, I didn't know this, but it was our club championship that weekend. So there was, uh, a lot of people in the bar <laughs> was not bad at all. It was like 1250, maybe it was under 1500 bucks. Pretty good deal there. And then like a month later, Travis, I had, it was kind of my first Friday back of actually playing like in the boys game and have everyone out. So True Links, my shoe sponsor, they came out, they donated like 200 pairs of shoes. We just backed up a truck and started handing them out to everyone. And then Travis Matthew put up hats and shirts in the bar and opened the bar tab that day again for everyone. And they took care of that tab. So it was cheaper than I thought it was going to be, but maybe that's just uh, the prices at Mesa are, are, are pretty good to me. But it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to get out of control. I have picked up a couple of Bev carts, too, uh, in the last, I guess, in the last couple of months. So it's all worked itself out. Well, it's like, like I say, when people, the richer you get, like the less you actually have to pay for things anyways. Like other, other people start pay, paying for things for you. But It's amazing how that works.
A quick break here to check in with our friends at Original Penguin. Of course, you saw the big penguin on Cameron Smith's left chest as he was winning the Century Tournament of Champions this past week. Original Penguin also partnered with us on a Wild World of Golf episode with Cameron Smith. They helped us crash one of his shoots at Streamsong last year. If you have not seen that on our YouTube channel, please do check that out. Big shout out to those guys for being big supporters of our content, and we are big supporters of their apparel wear. That's why you see it in so many of our videos. I'm rocking their hoodies on a near daily basis. They're lightweight. Keep you for Florida weather. They're absolutely perfect. You don't need something too heavy down here. They're great for spring, great for fall, and you know more uh, warmer climates, if you will. I love them. I, I sleep in their shorts every night. I have their underwear. I have their long sleeves. I have their sweaters, quarter zips, half zips, whatever you, whatever they could possibly come up with. I've got in my closet and I'm wearing on a near daily basis. Go to OriginalPenguin.com. Check out all of their offerings. You'll continue to see their stuff in our content in the future because we absolutely love it. I think I'm due for a new order. And I think I say that every month, but I really am putting one in now. Without any further delay, let's get back to Joel Damon. You touched on this. You were missing cuts left and right leading up to this event. How does... How does the the switch flip? I hate asking a, a question that generic, but like, could you sense anything that week? Does it, you know, does it help that you're playing in windier conditions and maybe that makes, puts you more in a competitive mindset and less about the swing? Take us to that week and how you were able to flip the script on how your year was going. Starting off, I did, I guess I started Palm Springs. So I played the whole West Coast, but I just, I typically play a little fade or a little push and I couldn't get the ball going right. I mean, everything was kind of missing left for me and, kind of found out that my clubs were had gotten bent a little bit upright. So that's kind of my fault for not realizing that, but eventually we kind of dialed in. That was it. So um, I had played a couple good rounds in between there, but if I'm not hitting it well, I don't have a short game or putter to kind of keep up with it all the time. It just kind of goes down a spiraling hole for me, and I was getting very frustrated. I felt like I was getting closer and closer, and I played Bay Hill. I felt closer, and then players was like when I was really low, I terrible putter that week i three puttered a bunch coming i think i only missed cut by one and i was pretty bummed there so uh i knew i was getting closer though gino was super positive players week he's like man i really wish we could have made that cut you were trending towards the weekend like just to have a couple more competitive rounds i, I think that you know where we're players is when we felt like we kind of crested and we were kind of on our way back so and then that following weekend i took off Falspar and or i don't know whatever week that was but took it off for a friend's bachelor party in vegas and it was kind of hard to take a week off because i was going nowhere i think it was outside the 125 at the time it was like i kind of told my wife at the time told buddies i'm going here complete reset like 48 hours give it a go uh we played golf both days actually actually played really well the second day at shadow creek even um you know having a couple beverages so complete reset Flew home Sunday, packed up, and then flew to Dominican. And I got there, and I felt great on Tuesday afternoon. I told Gino, like, I think we're winning this week. And I've never said that before in my life. Really? And I hit the ball okay. It's a wide open, easier golf course, but the wind blows, and that, you know, I, I get it, it favors a, a, a better ball striker like myself. So I can flight it down pretty good. I played well there in the past. Uh, you know, everything was kind of trending my, my way. And I think after full reset in Vegas – you know, a little change in attitude and get into a place where I've, where I've had success in the past kind of all clicked that week. Um, and it, it did fortunately. Hmm. Well, it seems like, and I don't remember exactly when this was, so you can correct me and, and tell me when this was, but either short, almost short, almost immediately after your putt or before you even left the green, you were caught on camera saying pretty loudly, like it is so hard 
to win a golf tournament. Why was that like the first place your mind went after just winning one? Why, you know, take us there. What, what made that be your, one of your first thoughts? Yeah, I hadn't won anything in a while. I, you know, I didn't win on the corn Ferry tour. Uh, I won a couple times in Canada, you know, and it's like, I just, it's, it's hard to win. So, and I'm not there all the time, you know, maybe a couple times a year, a handful of times a year, I'm kind of in that position where the adrenaline's going late Sunday, but uh, I think I had a two or three shot lead on the front. I was four under through my first five or three hundred through four hot start, just kind of cruising around. And I was absolutely cruise control. I didn't really have any nerves. I was just really relaxed, calm. And all of a sudden I made a bad swing on 11, uh, tough par three, and my world started spinning. Um, it, like I still felt okay, but it was like everything was moving so fast. Uh, June, I had a crazy long discussion into i think it was 12 to par 5 second shot couldn't get my head around like normal shot right it's like thursdays oh you just grab this club you just hit it no big deal everything was moving so quickly for me i couldn't grasp simple ideas of target club how far the ball was going little things like that so and it never slowed down and then i whatever it was i bogeyed like an easy par 5 on 14 and all of a sudden it just kept getting faster and faster and it never slowed down. So even breathing, walking slow, whatever it is, I couldn't, I was like an hour ago, I was just fine. Like I was playing around with my boys on Sunday, hanging out. And now I couldn't wrap my head around what was going on and, you know, hit some good shots down the stretch, but just trying to quiet your mind down and think like I hadn't been there really before. And I couldn't stop spiraling out of control basically. So I think that's why it was like the last two hours of was an absolute roller coaster. I'd never been there before. So I think that's why I was just like, wow, this is so hard to win. I hope it gets easier next time I'm in that position because that back nine was, was hard. Huh. You had a, I mean, you had a hell of a shot in 18 there with the, uh, yeah, one of the best and, shots I've hit. Yeah, for yeah. sure. With that much on the line, that's where like, I don't know how you don't aren't incredibly aware of everything on the line with that shot yet. You know, knowing that your best chance of having the most successful shot is not thinking about this, everything that's on the line. So do you stand over that with any different swing thought than any other shot that you hit in your life? No, I had hit four iron into 16, four iron into 17, and it was a perfect number for the four iron again on 18. And I was, I mean, I was visibly shaking, uh, but it was one of those, like, it's so wide up there. Like, there's no real, you can kind of mishit it and still get it up and down from almost anywhere, one of those deals. Uh, so it's not like I'm trying to, like, cover water or, like, hit it this it was just like aim left hit it hard hit it off a club face and the wind's gonna take it somewhere on the green um so like those things helped a lot in that situation for me i think and then i just hit the previous couple pretty solid so aim left hit it hard uh i think that's my when i'm nervous i just start dumbing it down as as, as much as i possibly can so um and luckily it you know worked out to a it was one of those things too. Like I had perfect number there too. I had a great number on 17 to get his front edge. Like I think those things kind of happen when, um, when you win, you just kind of luck into perfect golf shots that, that, that fit your eye. That makes sense. Was it, you know, I don't know what your expectations were for either what life would be like or what the feeling would be like winning a tournament. You know, the reality of it was it, you know, is it similar to what you were expecting it to be? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I also recognize it wasn't a major. It wasn't, you know, it was a half point event. Big it was, deal. It's, like, yeah, it was. But for me, I mean, it was over 100 events. I think it was like my 110th event or so. I was, you know, I was getting to a point. You're like, whoa, like, 
let's kind of get one here. Let's let's close one of these things out. So, um, yeah, I, I think there was just so much raw emotion immediately, like between Gino and my wife coming on the green. Like that was just you know we've been together for ever. You know, all all three of us have. So uh, it was just kind of raw emotions of that, and then kind of following the week, the two weeks following, just like cloud nine. Like you're responding to texts for a week. You're uh, playing Valero the next week was just kind of fun. You just buying everyone beers and hanging out. And I didn't even play a practice round. I played nine holes in the pro-am and didn't really do anything that week. And then the following week was the masters, which I had off. So hung out with everyone, had a backyard party, you know, had a keg in the backyard, did all that stuff. So that part was kind of everything you, yeah, you kind of plan for, hope that it all works out. And and that was really fun for me to have a lot of people involved. Um, so I think that was good. And then the reality of it is you got to go back and play more golf again. Uh, I didn't do that as well as I probably could have. Um, I was like, ah, I'm exempt, I'm whatever. So it's definitely like a couple months of uh, whatever, kind of, you know, whatever golf, I would say. Um, I, I had a couple good events, but nothing great. And the, I wasn't working as hard as I probably could have at the time, but I was enjoying it. Uh, I'd never had stress-free, like not worrying about my standing on the tour. And, you know, I had two-year exemption at that time. I was doing fine, so... Um, looking back, you know, at this point I didn't finish top 70, at least on the FedEx cup. So it was one of those things I think next time enjoy it for whatever, a couple days or a week. And then kind of, you know, let's, let's move up to the FedEx cup and let's get to tour championship or let's win another one, you know, something like that. It sounds like, yeah, the one question I had was, you know, did the win change your expectations for yourself? And it, it sounds like it kind of does change some expectations for yourself. Yeah, I think. Um, I, it's addicting. I want to win again. I want to win a bigger one. I want to win multiple times. Um, it's, it's, there's no, you know, there's nothing else you can do to, to replicate what you're doing on Sunday afternoon when you're trying to win a golf tournament. Like that's, that's like a crazy adrenaline junkie stuff that you just want to do again and again and again. So, uh, I want to do that. You know, I want, uh, I want to play out here for a long time. I, I think I can. I think I have the game to do it, to, to be a steady, solid player out here for a long time. So um, I would, I would, I, I guess I just crave getting, I, right now I'm, I'm pushing too hard, I think on Thursday, Friday to get kind of in the lead on Saturday, Sunday to have that feeling. I need to just chill out and play golf and let it happen type of a thing. Well, that's one thing too. Like, how do you how do you manage expectations or balance expectations versus goals? And kind of what I'm getting at is like, how do you channel setting high enough goals for yourself that aren't, you know, that aren't too far ahead of what you've accomplished, right? Like, because then if you are, you know, if you don't set goals high enough, if if you you know, if you say I want to win another event again, and then you get up in the top five of a major at some point, like. You're going to feel, un- I mean, you're going to already feel uncomfortable, but that's going to be even more uncomfortable because you feel like you're out of your gourd. You're out of what you would even expect for yourself. So yet at the same time, you don't want to set your, your sights too high and feel like you're failing at all times. How do you balance? Right. I'm not great at setting goals, I guess. I should probably be better about that. Um, I mean, kind of going back to your point of the major deal, I was in the top 10 for sure of PJ going into the back nine on Saturday. Party yep. Park. Uh, yeah, I played well yeah. there at Harding Park. I was kind of around in this one at Kiowa. I was playing oh, yeah, really right. well on Saturday and disappeared off the leaderboard quickly. And then I played great again on the front nine on Sunday and then disappeared again. So it was one of those things like 
it's a different feeling for sure. I think it's just under, you know, it's, it's kind of a hard balance there for, to me that I'm trying to figure out of like, not to push, just play golf, just do what I've been doing type of thing instead of looking at the leaderboard and realizing where I'm at and what I'm doing at times. So, um, as far as the goal stuff, like I, I guess it's easier. I'm, I'm not like, Oh, you know, obviously I want to make it to East Lake. I want to get top 50 in the world. Those are two huge perks that kind of take care of, of the year after. And, and, you know, maybe a couple years down the line. So those are, those are kind of simple goals I have. And, uh, I think they're very attainable and anything beyond that is fun, I guess, or just, just trying to have fun with it. You mentioned, uh, Gino there, you know, talking about, uh, you know, you know, celebrating that win with him and your wife there. I, I don't know if I knew the story or that, that was shared pretty shortly after that about the letter he wrote you about coming, coming to work for you and, uh, how, how that happened. I'm wondering if you could just tell that story here on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, it was so I was playing PJ Tour Canada in the summer of 14. And I had actually, I've known Gino since we were kids growing up, but I'd actually lived with him right when I had turned pro for like six months. Uh, in my town, my dad and I didn't get along for a bit. I was a, uh, tr- I was an, I was being an idiot son and whatever. I was kind of, so I moved in with Gino. He took me in, basically lived on his couch or his spare room. And, uh, did that for us. We were super close, but then I started playing good golf and he didn't like his just job. But as soon as I won two of the first three in Canada, and apparently he had pinned this email to me about how he wanted to do this thing. He wanted caddy, you know, he didn't want to just jump on when I got on the PJ tour. Uh, he kind of always believed in me. And so the next day after I had finished number one on the order of merit up there to gain full corn fairy tour status, he sent me an email and, uh, I kind of blew it off like originally because he had this whole plan of like, buying a honda civic modifying it to where he'd live in it drive across the country he had this whole deal like because he knew the money was going to be tied out there um i think he had just had his kit did you just have hudson so hudson his first kid is like four months old five months old when he writes his email and i'm like what are you you can't do this like there's no money out there so we chatted about it for a while talked to holly she's like hey i think he'd be happier doing this he wants to give it a shot i was like okay um so we did it i think the first year on the corn fair he made like 200 dollars profit maybe um luckily his wife kept him floated home uh and then the next year like we we got our card but we didn't make hardly any money uh you know he didn't make any money so uh and you know here we are started middle of our sixth year on the pj tour and together for eight i guess so um he's always believed in me more than i believed in myself at times and uh he really is like my life caddy. Uh, he takes care of so much crap for me. Uh, make sure I don't get in too much trouble. And uh, I'm so lucky to have a guy like him by my side. And it's not, you know, there's so many guys, caddies, are, it's just for business. You just pay this guy to carry your stuff, take care of encore stuff. And uh, very lucky that I get to share this, you know, kind of awesome life we're living and we get to do, do it together. Do you, I don't know if we need to have him leave the room so you can tell us all the all the things you wouldn't say if he was in the room with you. There, right. but. <laughs> well, something I want to ask you about you. I've you know you've talked about uh, I think the golf digest about some of this stuff. We're trying to get everyone's possible perspective on. I, I would say in the golf media world, it feels like there are changing times. I don't know if that's safe to call it. Just the the shift. There is a shift going on in some way in professional golf. What what how that's going to shape out? What that's going to end up looking like is still very much. Uh, in question, but there's threats of other leagues, rumors, but uh, 
does it feel the same way out on the PGA Tour, or are people making too much noise about it? Uh, every time I talk to some of you guys, it seems like you guys are as confused as we are as to what's going on. So I want your what your stance is on that. I think we're all pretty much as confused as you are. Uh, there's got to be, what, 10 or 15 guys are they're talking to, maybe 20 guys are actually talking to about getting over there and paying them money in X amount or being the team leaders. Like, I don't even know. There's two leagues, now there's one. and There's still eight, two. Like, no, okay, there's still like, two. So we, I don't <laughs> even know. Like, But I think the only people actually going on are a couple of the agents who actually are talking and a couple of the top players, and they're just kind of – mumbling behind the scenes i think to each other about what to do the rest of us are like oh let's hope that the pj tour is still strong and healthy so we can still have all of our goodies you know that we get out here so um it's always in discussion it's always like oh did you hear this did you hear this what'd you hear but it's all just hearsay and it's all we don't really know what's going on and um i is i think competition's always good like it's only going to make product better one way or another like if it's you know you can complain about you know guys getting 40 million for the pip stuff but it's going to keep the tour you know the top guys around for the tour and it's going to do stuff then then so be it like um i mean the simple answer is play better or tweet more or google search your name more whatever you have to do to to make that money so um i don't think i've never heard anyone really complain about it uh as far as that's concerned, but I think competition's good and whatever comes out of it comes out of it. But, uh, I sounds like the tours doing everything they can to keep everyone on this side. And so far so good, I guess. I don't know. Well, it's, it's, it's an incredibly complicated one. And I think it's not, it's not as simple as saying like, all right, uh, you know, take that $40 million that they're handing out to tour the top guys, which is now going up to 50. You know, you got to invest that in the corn ferry or you got to do this. You got to do all that. It's like, no, like this is this is serving a very specific purpose. And we're right. critical of a lot of the things the tour does. But that one makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, when you and Rory tie in a golf tournament, you get the same amount of money for it. And Rory, sorry to say this, probably puts a few more butts in the seats than you. Yes, 100 <laughs> percent. Uh, so, like, it makes sense that there's some compensation for that. But so I don't. it doesn't sound like you're as versed in like the premier golf league which was in a way going to be potentially, you know, the, the most recent iteration and proposal would be something that's a, a part of the PGA tour that PGA tour players would have equity in. And the top 48 guys would be playing in a separate league almost of, of some kind. And I think you would be right, maybe on the cusp of, of being in that, but maybe one of yeah. the guys that would be just outside of that as well, in terms of how would that affect me? Does that, would that, you know, can you see how something like that could benefit somebody that's outside of that 48? Or do you think that everyone outside the 48 is going to pay a price in that world? Do you yeah. have a strong opinion about it? Do you see what I'm getting at? I, yeah, that's a super good question. We've talked about that as well. Like, I I mean, I could be, you know, if I'm playing good golf, I could be on the verge of, you know, being whatever, one of the four or five guys on one of those teams. And if there's guaranteed money and I'm, guaranteed to be set for life and my kids for life i'd have a hard time saying no to that as well um if it's guaranteed like everyone says dirty money i think there's a lot of dirty money everywhere i mean uh it's all well, so pgl dirty. and saudi are different things so yeah well then so if we're talking saudi you, you so if, if we're talking strict strictly saudi arabia super golf league live golf whatever this is 
Let's, let's, so let's ask that. You would you would strongly consider that if it meant setting up your family for for life. If I was if it set up my family for life, I would definitely consider it. I mean, that's kind of what I'm trying to do out here on the PJ tour, and you know, I need another ten or fifteen years or whatever. But if they guarantee a contract out there, and I would be like the bottom half of that field, and they're guaranteeing enough, like I would have a hard time saying no. Um, that'd be an interesting one. You get booed for a couple weeks and then no one cares about you again. Like that's fine with me. I don't know. It, it's it's be a, it would be a lot tougher for the top guys who have a legacy in the game, who are going to be Hall of Famers, who want to put their spot in the game. Like when I retire, no one's going to remember who I am, which is fine. I understand that. I'm not going to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm not going to be like this legacy player that a lot of these guys are that will be the top guys. So they have a bunch of different decision to make, and they already have enough money basically be set for life so it's kind of depends on how much they want to chase that more which i understand but on the kind of going back to your original question is if those top 48 or 50 guys leave that leaves me then in the top 50 of the next guys uh and if the purses are still there then that's pretty good deal for me too all of a sudden i became you know one of those better players out here week to week um that's a great deal as well uh and you know you would see i think a lot of guys emerging well, obviously, you would see a bunch of guys come up that you don't really hear day to day, but it maybe changed the mindset of a lot of guys as well as, oh, I'm one of the better players out here now. You know, some guys maybe take off and their careers change in that way as well. So I don't know. I don't. It's it's super interesting to, to hear you talk about because then there's rumors of what 2023, 2024 that the fall season is going to matter or it's only going to matter for like half the guys for the FedEx Cup and I don't know that weird stuff as well. So who knows? Yeah, there's yeah, there's rumors that the fall might just become a sprint season of some kind or like yeah. some separate kind of thing. It's 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 complicated. But I feel like you know way more about this stuff than I do. Which well, is like it's good. it's a it's all a big question mark though. Like there's nothing you know this uh, especially with the Super Golf League thing. It's like they talk to player A and they say I don't know maybe, but they've had the conversation. They go to player B and say, Hey, player A is in. We already talked to him, and player A didn't actually commit. It's almost like this. It, there's some distrust going on as well between some of the relationships. I think I had heard that in JT's podcast with you. He mentioned that he's like, "Can you go talk to this other guy?" And he's like, "No, I didn't say that." And it's yeah. like, that's I, hard. To, yeah, I Nothing just heard else. two players have signed uh, two pretty decent names, but I'm like, I, 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 sure, maybe they did, but I don't. I'm done believing it at this point. But fair. So how would it, you know, how would it work for you? Have you? How would it work for you? Like, let's just talk about the Saudi International, the Asian, now Asian Tour event, paying big appearance fees for a lot of guys. Have you got an offer? Would, if you got an offer, would you go? How does getting an appearance fee offer work? Do you reach out to them? Do they reach out to you? Are you involved in that at all? I'm not, but I would certainly entertain the idea. I know I think the minimum over there that I've heard is going is 500K to appear. Uh, that's a lot of money. Uh, like... Would I go do it for a week? Like, yeah, I, I mean, I certainly would. Uh, the bone saw infight or whatever you guys want to. I mean, I understand completely why there is an argument of not to go do it. And um, I completely understand it. But I mean, yeah, it's dirty money. Is it grow? I don't know. I think the U.S. is dirty money. I think China's dirty money. I think there's dirty money all over the place. So you just kind of wherever you want to draw your line is is whatever. But you're going to give me 500k to fly to Saudi for a week to go play golf I'm probably going to take it um and I imagine everyone on Twitter who says oh I wouldn't do that I wouldn't do that well let's put 500 you know 500k in front of you for and a free flight and go play golf to make some more money over there you might go take it um 
but I, I don't know how you reach out. I haven't done any of that. Obviously they haven't approached me. Um, you know, maybe if I win three more times this year, then my price goes up and they'll entertain me. But, um, I haven't been approached. I have no idea how it goes. I know that you can write the exemption. It sounds like they granted it, uh, to those guys going over. Um, yes, they have. So you, I, with, with conditions, like you'll have to add, the oh, AT&T that's right. You have to add, that's right. At some point or kind of play an event, you know, there's some kind of, you know, conditions that they're, they're making them do. Right. Which like it how is, bad I mean, is it to have to play Pebble beach the next year? Like rough go, man, you got to go hang out at Pebble for a week. So, uh, it's my favorite place on earth. So if they're going to make me go, if I go play Saudi and they're going to make me play Pebble, then I'm definitely doing it. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's slippery for the tour though, too, of like, yeah, I mean, you lose, it's not just one week also, like you're budgeting in, you, you're probably not going back to back, you know, with that True. event, so maybe it's three weeks you're missing out on the PGA tour. And the more normalized that becomes the bad, that's not good for the PGA tour. They're at, it seems like they're adding more and more players every year. That's not good for the marketability of the tour. So it's uh it is a tough one, man. It's, it's hard for like, uh, you know, I appreciate the very straightforward answer there because it's hard for I I am I get high and mighty in my chair, but I do not have an offer in front of me to do it. I can say confidently I don't think I would, but like I've not been in that situation, so right. it, you know. And that that's what I, I get the sense that it's not, you know, guys just don't feel like it's their moral duty to to take a stand on something like that. Which um, I don't know right. how I feel about that, but I I do appreciate your your honesty. Yeah, I don't. It's it's super interesting. I don't. It's uh like you said, and maybe. But the other thing, we live in such a news cycle that is so short, right? So, and the amount of people that I would actually care and the little bubble of, you know, some people chirping at you every now and then about going and playing over there would be so little and so small, I think, that it, if, like, you know, if, if that's what you're worried about is the is a public eye of what they think about you, you know, or whatever, I think that would be so limited and so small and last such a short amount of time that it wouldn't really matter. Yeah. Like you said, it, it, for me, it's more the big names that decide to do it that have – earned plenty a lot a lot a lot a lot of money that uh that are doing it that i think is just the most frustrating as a golf fan but anyways that makes sense um i want to talk a little bit about you you had a a fun match that was played this past fall that got hyped pretty big but i want to hear you know you had a (laughs) how did the pairing with phil come about you know how did the match with you you know you and him against keith mitchell and harry higgs at the northern trust come about and uh, really, I want to know like what the buildup was like, because I know that guy had to be texting you motivational quotes like <laughs> weeks in advance. Uh, yeah, it's kind of funny. I don't know exactly how it worked, but I saw Harry tweeted Phil and I'm pretty good buddies with Harry. And I it was like midnight, like I was drinking and I texted Harry and Phil in like his group chat. And I'm like, hey, guys, I want to get on this match. And next thing I know, I wake up in the morning and Phil's like, all right, me and you, Joel, Harry, find a partner. And I was like, well, I was kind of expecting to be on Harry's team because I always want to play against Phil and kind of, you know, I want him to talk crap to me. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of want to be on that side of things. But then, you know, Keith loves playing for money and whatever. So they grabbed each other and all of a sudden Phil's on my team. So we had, there was a couple of texts about, you know, how's your game? Get like, kind of like building this up. Like it was a bigger deal. And, uh, obviously kind of all in fun. Um, and I, I was scrambling around at multiple ATMs the morning of to try to grab all the cash. Has to be cash. Uh, had to be cash. I assume you just pay on the spot. Um, and Harry did thankfully nicely. So it was good. I was afraid of losing, but, um, I, we got, so the first hole I kind of, Oh, Gino gave me a wrong number on the first hole. Mm. I had a, he, he lasered it with a bad number. 
So, uh, and then Harry made an eight footer. And then on two, we both have like 40 feet and I'm right in front of Phil. So Phil hits it and he's like, all right, last break. Then we have 40 feet, like up a tier that breaks three feet. And I miss it by like six inches. He's like, dude, I told you didn't break that much. And I'm like, Phil, if you think I'm that good from 40 feet, we got a problem today. <laughs> so I was already like, okay, on three, we hit it out there and uh, he hits a bad drive. He hacks out. He's got like 50 yards for birdie. I hit a good wedge into four feet. Phil and, or, and Harry and Keith have like 10, 12 footers for birdie. So I stuff it in there. Phil walks me down. Is my, you know, he puts his arm around me, walks me down in the green and goes, Joel, you know, like, you know, let's, let, let's get into these guys. We're not fucking losing today. Let's, let's, you know, we got to change your attitude right now. We got to get, you know, focus. Let's dial this in. He goes, all right, you're going to putt first because I'm away. I'm, you know, he's 50 yards away. You're going to putt first, but do not putt this unless you're guaranteed to make it. And it's like a four footer. That's like outside left edge downhill. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to make it. So he like, he goes through the entire read. I'm like, isn't it just outside left hit? And he's like, tell me this whole thing. I'm like, thankfully I make the putt. And, it, and then I, they make it on top, so we're still one down. But then Phil, like, you know, completely starts coaching me up on every shot, like, to the moon, telling me I'm the greatest player alive, telling me why we're going to beat these guys. Uh, and then I went on an absolute run. I think I made seven or eight birdies that day, and he made an eagle on the sixth hole from another fairway. Uh, and we kind of we, we beat him up pretty good. But uh, I couldn't believe how into the match he was. I couldn't believe how much he was coaching me up. I couldn't believe, like... It was kind of cool for me. I mean, growing up with Phil's like, you know, one of my, it's incredible to watch this guy growing up. And now he's like putting his arm around me and tell me how great I am and how we're going to beat these guys. So it's like, I didn't expect that, but it was pretty awesome. I was uh, like that. I feel like Phil as your partner is like that gif of uh, Draymond Green pumping up Kevin Durant like that, that always goes yes. around and hyping him mm -hmm. up. Like that's what yes. it feels like. Phil will turn a 10 handicap into a scratch golfer overnight. I assure you of that. And like the way that he reads the greens, like we would come to the same kind of conclusion of like a right edge putt. But the way that he got there was a lot different than the way you and me get there, which is super interesting to me. But uh, uh, I was just super impressed overall with everything. Like he couldn't have been a better partner. Uh, he didn't play his best, but uh, luckily those guys didn't either. And I kind of got hot that day. So uh i i could see how like what he took keegan bradley under his wing like at the Ryder cup or something no there's no i mean keegan would win 19 majors of phil caddy for him every week i think <laughs> like it's just it's amazing how like and this is just a little fun game for him on a tuesday like i could imagine like what it really is you know a Ryder cup or something like that is the amount you're playing for comfortable uncomfortable where's that line is it i had never played for that much in a day gotcha. um i mean i don't play for a ton but i mean i was i didn't want to lose that's for sure um it wasn't like anything i mean it wasn't uncomfortable as long as you lose like you're but i was like this is this is real golf so uh for phil probably pennies but uh for the rest of us yeah I, we really cared i mean i Typic tried really hard typical i mean every tour pro answers this the same way like a putt that would involve you losing Ten thousand dollars makes you more nervous than a putt that would mean getting an extra one hundred thousand on the eighteenth green. A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. and I, it's that. exactly what it is. It would be coming out of my wallet, yep. not just gaining less money from the tour per se. And that's <laughs> I didn't really understand that until because I'm like, you know, uh, last hole just last week I had like a ten footer for birdie on eighteen, and Gina's like, if you make this, it's worth five thousand dollars. <laughs> and I was like, 
I don't care. Like, just let's just get out of here. And then I kind of got reading the pot. I'm like, this is for $5,000. Like, this is a lot of money. What are you doing? And I made it, luckily. And he was correct. It was actually worth $5,000. So um, it was like those things. But if you're, if I could lose $5,000, if I don't make it, it's a complete, it's really scary. It like, shouldn't be, but it's different. I, I, it's I, completely I, different. So um, it's a lot it's, of lunches at the Ritz. If you get make that extra, that's a lot of lunches at the Ritz. That's for sure. <laughs> is that a normal 18th hole thing for Gino to tell you how much the putt's worth? If we're not, yeah, a lot of times. Or sometimes I'll even ask him. Like I'll be like, "Hey, like, what's this worth?" Um, it's if you're not winning or if you're not really like, it's easy to break it down into money, and that's gonna be like, "Hey, dude, if you can shoot three under on this back nine, you're gonna make an extra 30k." Like. Oh, that's a lot of money. I should try to do that. Um, so if you think about it, like it's it helps me kind of stay motivated for the last couple of holes or whatever it is. And um, I think really he's just being, you know, kind of selfish because he wants more money for himself. So uh, I think that's really what it is. Uh, but he's somehow motivating me into making him more money. <laughs> what uh, I I don't really know what my question is in relation to this, but you you we uh, we're we're talking about you know the timing of getting this interview started and whatnot, and you're doing laundry. How often do you got to do laundry out on the road? And what's that? Do you do it at the hotels? Do you have to go find a place? Yeah, to do that? What's that like? I, I actually do the laundry at home as well most of the time, you know, including my wife's stuff. So laundry is not a huge deal for me. Uh, it's what happens when you're on the mini tours and you don't work and your wife works two jobs. So you end up getting all the chores. And then when you become successful, uh, you still, you know, I just I get to do the dishes because that's what I started out doing. Uh, it's just those those kind of things. So um uh typically i rent a house on the road i'm a big airbnb guy so i try to and that's easy just to throw in loads uh, of laundry here or there but uh, i typically pack enough so this is i've been in hawaii for wow uh, this is my 13th day i guess so time to do laundry i just went downstairs here at the marriott um threw in a, a couple loads of laundry and got them done i'll be it'll get me through monday to when i fly home and be good to go if I'm looking at your, you know, your numbers so far for this year, it's kind of a weird time period to look at numbers, you know, from the fall, you know, wrap around into, into early 2022 here. But numbers are looking really solid on the strokes gain data off the tee approach, putting all positive 49th overall in strokes gain total. Do you do you look at those week to week? Is that something like, you know, I, I know I'm kind of hitting it good right now. I know it's going to look good. Do you how often do you evaluate that? And, you know, what 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 looks like a real gain for you? Yeah, uh, my driving has always been pretty good. Even though I'm a shorter hitter, it's always been pretty high up there because I hit a lot of fairways and I hit driver when other guys will hit a hybrid or two iron to 150 marker. I hit driver down to 125. So that's where I gained my strokes. Um, last week, I could have hit every fairway as hard as I could and it wouldn't have mattered because I just don't hit it far enough on a course like that. But a course like this week at Sony is great because guys will hit it to the dog leg and I can maybe hit a driver that covers just a hair of it and goes a little bit further down there. Um, so I don't really care about my driving too much. I know it's it's effective. I guess I was there's a couple other people out there who drew driving effectiveness, and I was top forty in that last year. I think which is is pretty darn good. Uh, I always hit my irons pretty good. I think it kind of depends on how smart I am. Sometimes I get a little aggressive with my irons, and I end up making some bogeys. But I don't worry about that stuff too much. I know if I'm hitting it good enough. The big thing I look at is putting, um, and I. Th- kind of figured something out at the end of last year i changed my setup a little bit i'd always my previous five years out here i've been outside the 150 i think just really inconsistent streaky weeks but super inconsistent and i changed my setup uh going into the fall and i've just decided i'm sticking with it i'm not changing ever again i'm just gonna do the same couple things set up the same way do it over and over and over again and 
Uh, I threatened to change a couple times in the fall with Gino. I've, I've been known to switch it up mid round and do some different things, but uh, when I get to see that final number of like, you know, I think I was top 50 in the fall, like that's positive side of putting for me is a huge deal. And um, if I can keep that going this year, I think it'll be a, a really good year. And uh, so I'm just going to keep kind of doing what I do with that and not worry about it too much. Just know that this is how I set up. This is my feel. I'm just going to do it over and over again instead of trying to change, you know, try to change something. So I look at putting the most because I know I'm, I'm going to hit it good enough most of the time to, to be just fine. So if I can keep putting in the, in the strokes being positive, I think it's going to be a pretty big year for me. Where do those gains come from? Like, what is the most important? I know every putt's important, blah, blah, blah. But, like, is there a, a range or a specific, you know, area that's like, you know what, if I do this well, I know I'm going to gain shots on the green. Is that something you go through? Uh, Well, I guess if you're looking at, like, it, I was horrible from 8 to 15 feet. Like, that's, like, where you make a lot of birdie putts from. Um, You know, if I could just make one or two more of those, like, a week even, that's a huge deal. So, I was pretty bottom of the barrel there. And I think a lot of that is just my speed issue. I've cleaned up my lag speeding issues uh, pretty well, but now it's matching, you know, if it's speed in this line, you kind of mirror those up and you could be reading every putt correctly, but if your speed's off, one's a little hard, one's a little short, obviously it's not going to go in the hole. And I think just seeing more, way way more consistent of speed on shorter putts um, is kind of where I'm at right now. So, um, eight to 15 feet, make a couple more of those, you know, every, you know, it's a good par save, but I've always been pretty solid inside of five feet. Um, and so just a couple more of those birdie putts go in. I think I'll be in, in good shape. And that's kind of just where I'm, I'm focusing on right now. I don't know if I'll get asked by asking this question the right way, but what have you, what have you, or what can you learn about putting on the PGA tour and where I'm coming from this? I remember Zach Blair saying something once he was surprised when he got to tour level how many putts from inside eight feet were not, did not leave the hole. We're not outside the hole. Like, is there anything that's like philosophy wise on uh, speed and break and marrying those two lines that you would say you've learned over the years that, you know, has contributed to making more putts. I should probably have a better answer. Like maybe I'm not learning enough after five it's years. It's not a under. very good yeah. question. I don't no, think, I don't know, but I, like, you see what I'm getting at? Like, how do you, how do you yeah. learn to be a better putter? It's not just hours on the green is kind of what no, I'm getting No, not at all. Yeah. I think a lot of it, I mean, green ring number one. And the thing out here is the, and I'm talking to the veteran players, they have changed where they put the pins a lot in the last five years. They have the green books as well. And they'll go put them in a transition spot where it can, it'll be breaking to the hole. And then the last like foot or two straightens out. Uh, you know, it's not just on a 3% slope anymore like it used to be, like a planer, easy three. These are, they're putting them in, in transition spots, which makes it a lot tougher to putt from or two. Um, and that's something I don't think is talked about enough. If you just give us a straight 2 or 3% slope, that's super easy. We know it's just a consistent break across, and, you know, from 10 feet, it's going to break 6 inches, and that, that's simple. When they start doing double breakers around the hole, they put them on crowns, they put them on lower flat spots. That's what they're doing now, and they're putting them in little different spots that make it a little more difficult. And I think that's why you've seen the putting numbers actually go down the last three or four years, just slightly. But that's why you've seen them go down a hair. Huh. Um, I never thought of that. Yeah. So it's, and that's, and you can really, as you know, when you have a green book, you can look, you can just, they put them on the, the transition spots, which totally make, and if there's Bermuda grass, they stick them right where it changes as well, which is obviously smart of them. Is that, so you, that makes me think that greens books are maybe, as important as a lot of people think they are. I've heard some theories that saying like they shouldn't be banned. And this whole thing is kind of a weird thing of the, the process now of gathering information is super weird. Probably really hard for caddies. What's your stance on the greens books? 
I'm glad they're not around anymore. I use one as much as anyone and probably too much. I bury my face in there. Um, but every time I've played well or putted, my best putting events are without a greens book. I mean, Dominican didn't have a greens book. I won. Uh, I've played well in Mexico. They don't have greens books down there. Um, so it's, and I don't use them really on Poe greens out West. Like I know what I'm doing out there, bent greens. So um, I'm glad they're gone. I think green reading is a skill. I think you can get better at it. I think you can use an aim point if you want. There are certain ways you can do it, but you can definitely practice your green reading and you can get better at it. And I think it's a skill, so there doesn't need books for it. I don't think it's really going to speed up play that much. Um, from 40 feet, it's easy just to look in your book and just be like, eh, it's probably about two or three feet out left and just hit it that way with proper speed and it'll go around the hole and you can get out of there. Instead of you know walking around a bit more, guys are probably going to call in their caddy a little bit more. Um, so I don't think it's going to speed up play, but I also don't think you're going to see anyone make or miss more putts because of it either. I mean, when we play every day at home, we don't have a greens book. Uh, everyone putts just fine on our day-to-day stuff. I mean, you know, you play with plenty of pros. They probably don't use a greens book when you play with them and they putt just fine. So, uh, I don't think it's going to be a huge difference, but I can see why they did it. Um, you know, it's not a great look when we have our heads buried in our books all the time, but, um, I don't think it's going to change anything. Do you think anyone's going to be, you know, have you talked to anyone about the process now of like trying to maybe learn greens yet not being able to write any of that in their books? Is anybody talking about that out there? I've heard a lot more people have taken Aimpoint Express classes in the offseason. Um, plenty of caddies are out there doing that. I know that much. There was quite a bit of discussion amongst a couple players the last week of trying to figure out what they can put in their book and what they can't. Um, you can probably guess who that one main player was last week. I mean, <laughs> you hours name one name if you want. <laughs> it's unbelievable how much, like every time you saw him, he's just chatting with rules officials about what he can have in his book, what he can't. Given that, I don't know what his putting stats were, but I talked to one guy who we played with. He's like, yeah, he's still one of the best putters. Like this guy's Bryson's so unbelievably good at putting that. Yeah. He hits it far, but he's ridiculously good at putting. And yeah, you can say it's the green books. We're going to find out this year because I don't really, I mean, he's going to figure it out. Um, So there's, I, I think that uh, there'll be some people trying to maybe fudge some stuff for a little bit and try to get some extra lines in there or whatever it may be, but I don't think it's really going to matter too much. You still have to hit a pot from like, I could put a T down, you know, and tell you exactly this is to roll a ball 12 inches past the hole. You have to aim at this T from 10 feet. Still got to do it. So last question, we'll get you out of here on this. What is, what's going on in the foodie world with uh, your, your wife's blog? Yeah, my wife's blog, Travel Eats and Treats on Instagram. Uh, she... Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most.